Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Again, thank you so much for your faithfulness and generosity. Uh, we truly, truly appreciate that. Before I get into the word and the message this morning, uh, I just want to take a, a minute, uh, just some family uh, business here, and just uh, update you all on one of the uh, folks who is a part of our church family here, Gary Leopard. Uh, I know many of you are friends with Gary and, uh, and Diane and maybe uh, Scott and Rachel on Facebook. You've heard some things, but for those of you who may not be aware, uh, late Thursday night, uh, July 4th holiday, Gary uh, was found in his living room unresponsive after a great day of celebrating with family the July 4th holiday. Uh, it's believed that he had a heart attack, which left him without oxygen for about 20 minutes uh, after the paramedics uh, arrived, and they uh, shocked his heart uh, several times. They were able to get a heartbeat. He was very weak and unresponsive and uh, taken to ICU, and uh, many of you prayed uh, and, and continued to pray, and the Lord did a miracle. Uh, yesterday morning, Gary opened his eyes. Uh, he was able to respond to instructions that the doctors were giving in terms of wiggling toes and squeezing hands and following uh, in terms of eye movement, which was all wonderful, 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 very positive uh, because they were very concerned about brain activity after being without oxygen uh, for so long. Yesterday evening, however, uh, Gary uh, coded again, and uh, they were able to get the heartbeat back, uh, but his heart is very weak. They believe that he has an infection in his lungs, and, uh, and so very much still on edge. And so we want to continue to invite all of you to continue to pray, and we're going to pray in just a few moments uh, for Gary, for Diane, his wife, and, uh, and, and Scott, uh, his son, and Rachel, and their family as well as uh, their other son, uh, Jason, uh, who is not in this area, but very much uh, a part and continue to pray uh, for that family as well. Uh, again, uh, he's very much at risk for going into VPIB today. Uh, they're planning on trying to bring him out of the sedation that they put him in just to help him uh, to be able to get through uh, just this time. And so it is a, it's a very critical time. And we just really are praying for the Lord to do a miracle and to provide uh, strength and healing. Uh, again, with all of that said, if you follow Diane on Facebook and you read uh, her Facebook message, the family's very grateful for all the prayers, all the visits, the texts, the calls, all of that. However, uh, Diane has asked that today there be no visits except for immediate family. And I know they come from a big family, all right? So please pay attention to the word immediate. <laughs> and, and that's simply because, uh, really, Gary needs to rest. And, uh, and Gary's a very hospitable person. We know that. Gary and Diane both are. And so when we come into the room, as much as we want to show love and pray, there's some stimulation that goes with that. And so we really need to pay attention and really uh, love this family by sending cards and notes and encouragements and those kind of things. It's kind of overwhelming. Uh, the waiting room has been just packed. So many of you have just been so uh, gracious and bringing food up to the hospital and being there. And it's just been packed. And they really appreciate it. But I've got to be honest, uh, Diane's tired too. And, uh, and she needs to be able to spend this time with Gary and not feel as if she has to 
uh, you know, just talk with everybody. And you know how that pressure is. And so I'm asking as pastor, uh, as much as you love and want to be there, that you do respect that and that you give them that space to be able to heal uh, and until otherwise we encourage. And we're going to try to do our best to keep you updated. Certainly if you follow them on Facebook, they're doing their best to communicate and keep that updated as well. And we just know so many people Love Gary and Diane and Scott and Rachel and just uh, want to be there and Joanne and everybody else uh, that's here, uh, you know, that's family and, and just want to be there. And so we appreciate that and want you to do that. And so if you could just respect that uh, today in terms of the visits uh, today, that would just be very helpful uh, for Gary's healing process uh, as well. And so let's just take a moment just to pray uh, again and uh, just ask the Lord just to heal Gary. Father, we just thank you today because you're a healer. And, and, and Jesus, you said, one of the I am, we just say in the great I am, I am the resurrection and the life. And we know that you are life. And Lord, we speak life into Gary today. We thank you for the miracles, Lord, where they didn't think he would even pull out and were concerned. And then yesterday, showing that, that Lord, he is there and there is life. And now we pray, now on the brink, that God, he would not code again, that you would strengthen his heart, that you would drive the infection out of his lungs, and that, Father, you would bring about a miracle and a healing for your glory, that every doctor, every nurse, every person, Lord, that Gary has ministered to and shared his testimony at work and, and in neighborhoods and at home would be encouraged to know that you are on the throne, that you exist, and that you would get all the glory and all the honor for what you are about to do. Father, we just thank you, and we trust you, and we know that Gary is in your care. Camp your angels around him, God, and we just pray that every moment you would provide strength and healing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Again, thank you for your continued prayers. We pray that uh, we just invite you to continue to pray. That's one of the best things that we can do is to intercede and pray, isn't it? Because God's the one who's the healer. Amen. He's the healer. Praise the Lord. Well, let's get into the Word this morning. We're in a third part of a series we're calling, I Want to Believe But, and we've been talking about uh, different areas that, that possibly come where we struggle with faith, things that come up where sometimes we, we struggle to believe. Maybe there's a part of us that wants to believe, but these kinds of things kind of come up. The first week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about on-demand God. What happens when God isn't, isn't answering my prayers as quickly as I think that he should? I want to believe, but God just isn't answering prayer. And we kind of talked a little bit about that in on-demand God. And then last week, we, we got into what happens when I can't feel God. How, how do I know? I want to believe, but I just don't feel him. I, I don't get the goosebumps. I, I, don't, I don't know that. And we talked about how to believe when you can't feel God. And today, we're going to talk about what we're calling killjoy God. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think about when you hear the word rules? Rules. We don't like the word rules. No one likes the word rules. It's kind of daunting. It's, it's a heavy. It kind of it goes, checks in the box of terms and conditions. You know what I'm saying? Terms and conditions. Oh, boy. Or wait time, three hours. You know, the, these kinds of things, we, we kind of go, oh, boy, rules. I don't like rules. 
And when we think of Christianity, God, and the Bible, oftentimes, for some of us, what comes to mind are rules or commands. There's just a lot of rules. When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to God, when it comes, boy, that book is awfully thick. It just seems like there's just a lot of rules to follow. I, I, I don't know about that. And, and so what I want to talk to you today about is that. Killjoy, God. What, I, what about all these rules? I don't understand. I want to believe in God, but there's just too many rules. I want to believe, but you know what? I don't want my life to be boring. I want to enjoy my life. How can I believe in a God when there just seems to be so many do this and don't do this and do this and don't do this and I can't do all of that. And if I can't do all of that, why should I even try? How, how am I supposed to do all of that? And perhaps today we think I, I, I can't possibly keep up. How can I believe? Some people say I want to believe in God, but all of those rules, I, I just, they don't seem to benefit me anyway. I mean, my life is going fine. Everything is going fine. Why should I, why should I then restrict myself to follow all these rules and do this and do that? And, and so that's what I want to unpack a little bit today. I want to unpack a little bit today. What is it with all these rules? What is it with all these rules? How, how is this? What, what is this? And so I want to talk about it today, and I want to give you some good news and some bad news, some good news and bad news about Jesus and religion. And we're going to start with the bad news. And I hope you understand today that when I say religion, I'm not talking about Christianity, at least in the genuine sense of Christianity. All right, when I'm talking about religion, and I use the word religion, I'm talking about man-made, self-imposed rules where man is trying to please God. How many know there's a difference between Christianity and just religion in general? There is a difference. Sometimes it gets lo locked into that. You know, uh, my religion, now there was some kind of song, I forget who sang, losing my religion. And everybody, I'm religious, I'm just not a religious person. I'm a or you, you seem like a religious person in all of this. We throw this term religion all around. We throw this religious thing all around. There's a lot of things you can do religiously that have nothing to do with Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? So I want to, talk, I, I want to break it down a little bit because uh, the, uh, the bad news about religion and the good news about Jesus. Now here's the bad news about religion. Religion focuses on the external rather than the internal. For instance, I, 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 if, I, if I brought up here a, a can and it was a can that had a label and said peaches on it, what would you think was inside? Peaches, right? But what if I took a can of peas and I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to put a label on it, peaches. Would that be peaches? No, but it has a label. It says it's peaches. Why isn't it peaches if you just put a label on it? Because the contents inside are peas. And if you open that up expecting peaches and all you got was peas, not, not for all of you who love peas, but come on, there's a difference between peaches and peas. All right, can we just be honest? You know, there's a difference between blueberries and broccoli, all right? You need to eat your broccoli, but there's a difference. Sorry, Larry and Tina, you know, there is a, there is a, but the difference is the contents on the inside. Religion just simply puts a label on the external without any change on the inside. That's the difference. That's what religion is. Religion focuses all on the label and doesn't matter to focus on what's on the inside. Nothing is internalized. It's all about the exterior. It's all about what the label is. And that's a problem. When it's all about the label and not about the contents that are on the inside. That's what religion is all about. And that's why you find a, a, a bit of hypocrisy sometimes. Jesus said, if you're claiming one thing but not living another, that's hypocritical. 
And in Matthew 23, 25, and 26, he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup, but the inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, then the outside will also be clean. You, you, we got so focused on, on, I got to do this and do this and do this and look at all my tassels and look how long they are and look at all the prayers that I pray out loud and how long and all of this. And inside there was no change. They were self-indulgent and they were greedy. And he said, listen, you are focused on the wrong thing. You're focused on the label. And because of that, you're missing it. You're not right. You're focused on the wrong thing. That's what religion is. Religion says, well, how, do I, how, how can I be right with God? I mean, God is so holy, and I'm unholy, and, and how can I do that? Well, religion says, well, to close the gap, I need an outward human effort. That's what I need to do. I need religious acts. I got to close the gap between my sinfulness and God's holiness by simply trying harder, being better, and doing religious things. If I go to church, if I give some money in the offering, maybe I can score some points with the man upstairs. Right? I can score some points there. I mean, no one's perfect, right? No one's perfect. I, 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 I try. I do some religious things. Maybe I avoid some other things that I'm supposed to avoid. And, and if I do more right than I do wrong, and, and that, that's got to score some points. After all, I mean, nobody's perfect, right? We just score some points, right? And, and, and trying to close the gap with human effort, Jesus says, you know what? Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't do that. That's exactly what they did. They were putting on a big religious slow. They were on the street corners and they'd pray long prayers just to, to show how holy they were and how spiritual. And they'd use all this spiritual language and these big fancy robes and these big long tassels and, and all of that. And meanwhile, they're taking advantage of innocent widows. They lie to people. They'd keep all these rules on everybody else, all these rules about the Sabbath. And they don't be hanging out with that person and don't be doing this and don't be doing that. And it was all about the external, forgetting about the internal. Now, let me give you a little history lesson. And, and, and this is really important. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, long story short, we were going through, there was a period of time after they were in captivity that they were released back. And we talked about this with Ezra and Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the temple and, 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 and all of that. We talked about this in our study in Haggai, the rebuilding of the temple, and Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the walls. As they were coming back, the problem was that some of the people, again, stopped following the Lord, stopped doing what he had said. They started to worship other idols. They started getting involved in things they shouldn't because that the human nature side of things, the sin nature side of things, always goes against what God desires. And so in order to protect, they didn't want to go back into captivity again. Whoa, we don't want to do that. They started coming up with all of these other rules and all of these other laws. They came up with all of these things in terms of what you should be doing and what, what you shouldn't be doing. There were, there were over 600 brand new laws, and they were known as fence laws. You know what fence laws are? We don't want you to break God's command, so we're going to put some laws around as a fence so you don't even get to that place. So if you break these, okay, but, but it'll keep you from breaking these. So there were, about, there were about 600 of these things. 65 of them had to do with the Sabbath, just do's and don'ts on the Sabbath. You don't do this on the Sabbath, do this on the, you can do this, but you can't do this. All of these things that really try to break it down. And really the intention was good. The intention was we don't want people to sin against God. So we're going to create another barrier, another line of rules. And if they follow these, then, then they'll be that much further away from the line. And then we, we won't be in judgment. And so they got so focused on these rules. 
rules that later in the third century, there was a book that compiled all of these laws together called the Mishnah, and the book was over 800 pages of man-made laws added to the laws of God. And Jesus got very passionate about this. Matthew 23, 3 and 4, he said, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Now, here's an example of one of those things. It's the Sabbath day, and and there's somebody that needs healed. And and here's Jesus, and he knows that somebody needs healed, and, and at the same time, it's the Sabbath, and he knows that he's being tested. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus heals anyway. And they're all in arms, up in arms. Oh, my goodness, you heal. How do you work? You can't be the Messiah. You work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 what's the Sabbath made for? What's the whole point of the Sabbath? You have forgotten the whole point. You've forgotten what's behind the law. You're so busy worried about the law, you forgot about the love that is behind it. And, 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 you know, sometimes we think, oh boy, I, I want to believe in God, but man, there's just too many rules, there's too many laws, it's just, it's so oppressive. But I want to tell you that sometimes these kinds of things, they're not really a reflection of the heart of God when that's all we're seeing is just those external things. Additional works to try to close the, the gap doesn't reflect the heart of God. Anytime that, that happens, you kind of get bogged down and you begin to, to say, I can't, I can't worship that kind of God. But I'm going to tell you, you don't have to because that's not God. That's not the heart of God. The laws God established are not to confine us, but to free us to the kind of life he wants us to live. And today I want to spend some time in Romans chapter 3. So we're going we're gonna to open Romans chapter 3. If you've got your copy of God's Word, we're going to have the Scripture there, references on the screen, and those can follow along in the app notes. And, and, and we're going to understand from a biblical perspective why the rules and the law, why then? Why for these rules? Why, why are they here? What is it? And I think you're going to find it encouraging and freeing today. And then we're going to close with a time of communion. So Romans chapter 3, and I want to begin in verse 20. Romans chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse 20. We're going to read just a couple of verses here in the beginning. It simply says this, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather the law, through the law, excuse me, we become conscious of our sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now let me just give you three simple thoughts about the good news of Jesus Christ. Three simple thoughts about his law and righteousness. Number one is this, you cannot earn God's acceptance by obeying the law. You cannot earn God's acceptance by obeying the law. No matter how religious you might be, no matter how many good works you do, no matter how many bad things you try to avoid, that is not the way to eternal life. That's not the way. People say, well, that's a good person. That's a good, well, I'm a good person. I'm a good, define good. What's the standard of good? That's where the problem comes in. Everybody has a different standard of good. Everybody has a different standard of what's right and what's wrong. That's the problem when we ate the fruit. 
that goes back to the beginning, the fruit in the garden. That's the problem. That was the knowledge of good and evil. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. We still think that. We still think that we know what's good and what's evil. Our world still thinks they know what's good and what's evil. We know what's right and what's wrong. The problem that I found is in conversations with people is that line is always moving. When you talk to someone that isn't, that isn't trusting in God's word as the source and as the law and as what is holy and what is right, is that problem is, is that when you talk, that line is always moving. Well, I think this, and then you ask a question, and it's like, oh, well, maybe in that situation it's not like this, but in this situation it's like this. It's always moving no matter who you talk to. It's always moving. It's why we have a problem in our country and government because nobody can agree on anything. This party over here thinks this is right and this party over here says, no, that's wrong. This is right. And then somebody else says, well, you're both wrong. This is right. Who's right? Is it right? Politically correct? What's politically correct? That, that line's always moving. I never know what was politically correct 20 years ago isn't politically correct today. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, people who didn't even believe in Jesus 40, 50, 60 years ago had more of a moral standard of holiness than people in the church do today. The line is always moving. Why is that? And I remember as a kid how upset everybody got when there was the first lingerie commercial on TV. Now there's that and more. Nobody's picketing that anymore. The moral slide. People who weren't even believers at that time at least had some kind of a moral, but that is slidden, and now you're just, you're just over the top. That's what happens when we don't have any kind of true standard. We think everything is good. Everything is right in the right situation, in the right circumstance. Your good is good for you, as long as it doesn't impede on me. The problem is, it always impedes on me. And what I believe always impedes on you. That's just the way it is. We could debate back and forth philosophically, but I'm going to tell you that when you don't have one standard, it's all over the place. So what is good? How do we do that? Let me tell you something, friends. You're never going to be good enough. Your works are never going to be good enough. Max Lucado is one of my favorite authors. Anybody like Max Lucado? I love Max. He, he's one of my favorite authors. And, and so I stole this from Max. In fact, I'm just going to read what Max wrote. How about that? Because I can't, I can't do it as well as Max. Can I just be honest? I, I, but, but I tell you what, it, he, he just gives this great illustration. How many remember those old credit card payment machines? You know, the, the ones before you slide you know, or put the thing, that there were the, the plastic things and you put the card in, you had the carbon copy, and every time you did it, like a, a credit card transaction, those of you that are young, you just never even know this, you just not, you missed out on it. They'd have this thing, and it was like, it had a handle, plastic handle, you hold it down, you go, rack, rack. Anybody remember those things? You know, you charge something, right? This is what Max says, Max, he said, my favorite task when I had my first job was imprinting credit cards. He said, nothing like the surge of power you feel when you run the imprinter over the plastic. He said, I'd always steal a glance up at the customer to watch them wince as I rack rack their card. <laughs> he said, credit card purchases a day, not nearly as dramatic, magnetic strip, swipe through a slot, chip in a reader, numbers entered on a keyboard, no noise, no drama, no pain. He said, bring back the rack rack days when the purchase was announced for all to hear. You buy gas, rack rack. 
charge some clothes, rack, rack. Pay for dinner, rack, rack. And if the noise didn't get you at the end of the month, the statement would. 30 days, ample enough time to rack up enough purchases to rack up your budget. A lifetime is enough to rack up some major debt in heaven. Yell at your kids, rack, rack. Covet your friend's car, rack, rack. Envy your neighbor's success, rack, rack. Break a promise, rack, rack. You lie, rack, rack. Lose control, rack, rack. Further and further in debt. Initially, we attempt to repay what we owe. Every prayer is a check written. Each good deed is a payment made. Each good act, every bad act, then you won't, maybe your account won't, won't end up out of balance. I did a bad thing, I do a good thing. That just kind of balances it out, right? I, I counter cussing with compliments, lust with loyalties, compliments with contribution, my vices with victories. Then maybe my account is justified. It would except for two problems. First, I don't know the cost of each sin. The price of gas, that's easy to find. Would that it be so clear with sin? It's not. For, for what example is the charge for getting mad in traffic? I know nobody in here did that on the way to church today. Right? Get ticked off at somebody who cuts in front of me. Maybe say a few choice words. I don't know. How, how, what do I pay for that crime? Do I drive 50 in a 55 zone? Do I give a wave and a smile to 10 consecutive cars? Who knows? If I wake up in a bad mood, what's the charge for a couple of mopey hours? Is it one church service next Sunday? Will that offset a grumpy morning today? What qualifies for a bad mood? Is the charge for grumpiness less on cloudy days than on clear? Am I permitted a certain number of grouchy days per year? That can get confusing, you know? And not only don't I know the cost of my sins, I don't always know the occasion of my sins. There are times when I sin and I don't even know it. He said, I was 12 years old before I realized it was a sin to hate your enemy. My bike was stolen when I was eight. I hated a thief for four years. How do I pay for those sins? Do I get an exemption based on ignorance? What about my sins I'm committing and don't even realize it? What if somebody else discovers that it's a sin to play golf? Or maybe it's a sin, and I agree with Max on this, if I play golf, how I play is a sin. Oh, boy. I'll have some serious settling up to do. Those of you who play golf with me, you know, right? Man, oh, man. What about secret sins? And then he's a writer and he says, he says this, he says, even as I write this chapter, I'm singing, sin, sinning. I'd like to think I'm doing it for the glory of God, but am I? Am I free of vanity? Does this vessel have the only concern for contents and no concern for the container? Hardly. I wonder if people will agree, if they will approve, if they'll appreciate all the long, painstaking, tedious, exhausting, torturous hours I'm humbly putting into the watershed of historic thoughts. And what of you? Any sins of omission on this month's statement? Did you miss any chance to do good work? Overlook an opportunity to forgive? Neglect to open door to serve? Did you seize every chance to encourage a friend? Rack, 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 rack. Right? Are there other concerns? Is there a grace period, for example? My credit card allows a minimum payment, then rolls the debt into the next month. Does God, will he let me pay off tomorrow's debt, today's greed, next year? What about interest? If I leave a sin on my statement for several months, does it incur more sin? How do I pay this blasted thing off? And there it is. There's the question. There's the question. It's the same thing that in Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul said, right? 
the good I, I want to do, I don't end up doing, and the things I don't want to do, I, I, I do. Who will rescue me from this body of death? How do I pay it off? What do I do? There's just all of these things, and I can't even begin to know how much they cost and how many good things I need to do and how much of this I need to do and that I need to How, how do I begin to pay off the debt that I owe? Do I deny it? My conscience won't let me find worse sins than others. God won't fall for that. Claim lineage, immunity, family pride won't help try to pay it off. I could, but that takes us back to the problem. We don't even know the cost of sin. We don't even know how much we owe. So if God didn't give us a law in order for us to obey it and make up for the sins we've committed and earn his favor, then why in the world did God give us the law? If we can't live up to it, then why are there all these rules? Number two, the purpose of the law is to show your need of a Savior. The purpose of the law is to show a need of a Savior. Romans 3.20, the second half. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our own sin. You see, the law is simply a mirror to allow us to begin to see our own sin, to begin to see how far away we are from God's standard, how far away we are from his holiness. It's to to let us know what God's standard is. It's to point us to our need of a savior, that we're a sinner. And some people, when you say the word, you preach, oh, you're a sinner. Oh, I feel so judged. This is not for you to feel judged, but rather for you to have a consciousness to go, oh, wow, I am that far away from God. And not only a consciousness of that, but when you hear about what Jesus Christ did, when you hear about his love, when you hear how he gave his life on the cross to take your place and to take your sin and to erase the debt you owe, there is a a heart of gratitude that goes, wow, but how can you be grateful for something that you don't know you have? How can you be grateful if you don't even know you have a debt? So what if somebody pays it off if you're never conscious or feeling the debt? And the law of God allows you to see how far you are away from his holiness, to see the debt that you owe so that you can appreciate more the cost that it took for Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and paid your sin. It makes us conscious so that we can appreciate what Christ has done. Some of us would argue, I'm not that bad. Let me ask you this, have you ever lied? You've broken God's law. Say, I've never lied. You just lied. (laughs) So now there it is. You broke God's law. You ever looked at somebody with love, with lust? Committed adultery with them in your heart? You ever get mad and angry at someone so mad and angry? According to to what Jesus said in Matthew, you've killed them. I didn't kill them. Well, maybe not externally, but in your heart you wanted to. Sometimes we even say that. If you do that, I'm going to kill you. Right? Whoa, hold on. You ever get frustrated because it seems like God's blessing somebody else and he's not blessing you and you covet what they have and their position and their favor and you don't have it? On and on and on and on. Ever break the Sabbath? Just look around. There's some doing it right now. I'm just kidding. I'm just having a little bit of fun. Some of you missed that joke. You're already asleep. How can you be asleep already? I think I'm quite entertaining today. My goodness. Oh, we fall beneath the standards. And so the purpose of the law is to show us how much we need grace, how much we need mercy, how much that is the only answer for what we need. That's where it begins. 
And how? Being right with God. Where does it come? It says here being with God, being right with God comes not by our works, not by by what we do, not by obeying the rules and following the rules, but it simply comes by faith in Christ alone. In Christ alone. Right? That's what it's all about. Not by trying harder. It's trusting in the perfect work of Jesus and that alone. Romans 3.22, his righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That just seems too simple. There's got to be something I need to do. Right? I got to be able to do something. No, that's pride. I need to be willing to say, boy, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. It's in Christ alone. It doesn't matter how bad your past has been. It doesn't matter how bad your present is right now. It doesn't matter how much you rack racked on your sin debt on your spiritual moral credit card. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you humbly say, I can't pay this debt. I need you, Jesus. (laughs) I need you to forgive me. I want to put my trust in your work, your finished work on the cross and, and, and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what it's all about. Now, I, 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 I'm going to tell you all day long, you don't need religion. You need Jesus. You're not saved by a label. You're not saved by a religious affiliation or by good works. You need Christ and Christ alone. Not Christ plus good works, not Christ plus religious effort, Christ and Christ alone. Romans 3, 23 to 26. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's the problem. All have sinned, all. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Right? All have sinned. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received, look at this, by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, there's a key word in here. It's the word redemption. Anybody a coupon shopper? Any coupon people? When you take the coupon in, there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, 50 cents off, 25 cents off, dollar off, some even double it, you know? But when you take it and you scan it, you have the product that you purchased and you scan it, you're redeeming the cost of that coupon to go against the charge of whatever that item is. And there are some people really good at that and they can walk out but paying hardly anything for it. Well, redemption is a term in Paul's day that was used for the slave trade. And it pictures the release of a slave by paying a price. Now, not slavery like we think of in American history, slavery, but, but the problem is, is we're all under sin. How many of you know that? We're all under sin. We're all condemned by the law. The law makes us conscious of our sin and thereby saying, you're that far away from God. You are condemned because of your sin. Condemned where? To hell. I know we don't like that word. We don't like to say that. Listen, God doesn't send anybody to hell. Hell is simply the price that gets paid when we're broken God's law. It's condemn- it, the condemnation comes because the law of God in which we're conscious of our sin, that is what condemns us. I broke the law. When you break the law, there's nothing when you stand against it that condemns and that's the punishment that comes from that God isn't sending you there that is the punishment for not being right with God 
All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all under sin. We're all condemned. And a holy God cannot, he has to maintain his holiness. Jesus Christ was just. He was holy, but he was also the justifier. He had a perfect record. He doesn't lower his standard, to, so, but he can still do what is right. How did he do that? He came and he paid the price for our sin. What we owed, the debt that we owed, the sin debt that was upon us, he said, you know what? You can't pay that, but I can. You're not holy, but I am. And because I am holy, because I am righteous, I can come and I'll take on the punishment that you deserve. The wages of sin is what? Death. I will take on death. And I will do that for you. Why? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, Romans 6.23, is what? Eternal life through who? Christ Jesus. He does what we cannot do. In the Old Testament, you need a pure and spotless land. You couldn't have any, any, anything. And it acted as the substitute and it took on the punishment of the people's sin. And it was, it, it incurred death so that the people could live. Jesus Christ took on death so that we could live. He redeemed us. Redemption is, takes us back to that Old Testament Israel. Agricultural society didn't take much to get into debt. When you did, you had to sell yourself into slavery. And, and, and it took a lifetime sometimes to get out of slavery. So God's law made a provision for a kinsman redeemer to go and buy you out of your slavery so you could live and be free again. We see it in Leviticus 25, 25. Paul uses that language that to, with Jesus, to those who are slaves to sin, death and judgment, that they couldn't pay back what they owe, but rather he took our place. He was our redeemer. He came in and he redeemed us. And because of that, we have freedom from the sin debt that we owe and we are given eternal life. And more than just eternal life, more than just set free from the power of sin, we've been brought into relationship with Christ, into what's called sonship. He has made us sons and daughters of God. Now we share an inheritance with Christ what we don't deserve that is the grace and the mercy of God that we get what we don't deserve that he brings us not just freedom from our sin and freedom from eternity in hell but he also gives us an inheritance with him and a relationship to where we are sons and daughters of God wow that is the gospel that's the gospel that's why religion doesn't work that's why you can't be good enough. You can't say enough Hail Marys and you, you can't pray enough and you, you, can't, you can't do this enough and that enough and attend church enough and think that that's what's going to pay your sin debt. It's not about that. It is about Jesus. And without that, you're just slapping a label on the outside. Because when you invite Jesus in, he changes the contents on the inside. He turns your peas into peaches. The fruit of the Spirit. Nothing against vegetables. See, what rules, what do rules play? They make us conscious of our sin, but it's not that they don't apply anymore. All right, I want to make this clear. So, so listen, I'm going to drive this home. All right, so where, where, where are rules today? What do rules have to do with anything today? Do we just set them aside? Do they not count? Jesus came, we put our faith in Jesus. I think that's the way that many people live today. But I live by grace. And because of grace, I can just do whatever I want. No, Paul says you can't do whatever you want. When he writes, he says, do, 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 do we sin then? No! No! 
not at all. This doesn't give us a license to sin. So what is the point of the commands? What is it about the rules? Well, Jesus said this. He said, when I come, I'm going to write those rules on your heart. In Jeremiah, that's what he talked about. I'm going to write them on your heart. Not an external thing, but I'm going to make it an internal thing. Now let me talk about rules a little bit, because rules are things we follow, oftentimes religiously, oftentimes for the sake of common purpose. There are rules for safe driving, hundreds of them. Following them does what? It keeps traffic flowing. Trust me, if you've ever been outside of this country, if you've been into some of these, I went to Haiti uh, on, on a missions trip, and I've got to tell you that there were not much traffic rules anybody was following, and it was just a whole lot of everybody doing what they want and going where they want and beeping and scooting in and bottlenecking. Oh, my, it was crazy. People on motorcycles doing things people on motorcycles should never do. Anybody ever been out of the country and been to one of those places before? You know what I'm saying. It's cray cray. All right? I just hang on. <laughs> you know? It's just crazy. Wait, why? We have these rules. Why? Because they keep traffic flowing and they keep you from getting arrested. If you're a writer, there are rules for writing. There are rules that everybody keeps wise because it keeps us on the same page. Driving, though, isn't about the rules. What's it about? It's about getting somewhere, right? Writing isn't about the rules. It's about communicating a message. Nothing, absolutely nothing's about rules, but rules are really important, aren't they? If the road code didn't exist, there'd be chaos. If grammar didn't exist, we wouldn't know what anybody's talking about. Naturally, we're far more successful at reaching our goals with respective rule books. And the same principles apply to relationships. They apply to marriage relationships. We have a good marriage, and they tend to have good rules. Now, maybe they're not spoken rules. They're not a whole list of, of rules. But there are certain things that we follow that we know keep a good relationship, a good friendship, keep a good marriage. Interactions with friends. You know, things we do habitually, maybe we automatic, and we, we think we're, it's just ridiculous to even bother with them. But let me tell you something. The only rule is a rule of love, right? But love isn't a rule, is it? Really? Is love a rule? No, what? Love's a reason. Love's a purpose. You follow the rule because of love. In the case of demonstration of love, much of the time when it comes to relationships, you probably don't think of anything more than a rule, more like a value instead, does anybody follow a value? To fully understand the difference between external religion and what Christ has done to restore us to relationship, I think we need to understand the difference between values and rules. Values and rules. So let me just talk about those because they're almost identical. A rule can be a value. A value can be a rule. But if rules are things you follow, values are things you possess. If rules are things you follow, values are things you possess. What, what am I talking about? What am I talking about? What I'm talking about? The difference is in placement. See, values underpin the things we care about. Rules underpin the things we're told to care about. Rules are things we're told to do. Don't interrupt others while they're, saying, well, while they're speaking. Say please when you're requesting something and thank you when you're receiving it. Return something after you borrow it. And if you are like me, return it in better condition than when you borrowed it. Those can be rules, but let me tell you something, they can also be values. 
when they're important to you, when you've internalized them, they're not simply a rule that somebody else told you to follow. They become something that's a value on the inside that you recognize is, is getting you to a destination or getting there in terms of being able to show love. Going to church is no different. Going to church can be a rule. Christians go to church. Or it can be a value. You know what? I, I want to go to church. I want to go to church. Why? Because I, God who cares about me and did all this, I, I just want to be there to worship Him. I, I want to be there to honor Him. Or it can be, oh, my parents are making me go to church. My wife tells me i got to go to church. I'm going to church on Mother's Day to please Mom. We have Easter dinner afterwards, so we're going to go to church on Easter. That's a rule. Go to church. And that's why many people don't continue to go to church after they graduate or after they leave home. Because it's just been a rule, but it's not been a value. But when it's a value, when you recognize and begin to say, oh, wow, man, my relationship with God, man, it's just, then you want to go. Why? Because it's a value that you internalize. We've got to begin to see God's word less as rules and more as values. But the only way you do that is when you grow in relationship with him and begin to see the freedom that comes and the, from the purpose of following. He has a purpose. There's a reason for these things. There's a reason for these things. Values are internalized out of love. Rules you don't internalize. You feel obligated to do them. But when internalized, they, they don't become cumbersome, but rather you recognize they give you freedom and they keep your relationships healthy. Rules are like sheet music. They can appear daunting and heavy, but when you hear the notes played and you get lost in the music, the only thing daunting is the fear of it ending. And that's the relationship that God wants with you. And that's the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is all about performance, 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 performance. But Christianity is all about the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Religion is all about what I do, what I do, what I do. And Christianity is all about what Jesus did, what he did, what he did, what he did. Christianity, religion says, I'll try hard. Maybe I'll obey God. If I obey God, maybe if I try hard, God will love me. Christianity says, because God loves me, because I'm accepted by Christ, I choose to obey. I want to follow his ways. I want to internalize them. Listen to what David wrote, Psalm 16, 6. He said this, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You know what he says? I've got freedom on the other side of the boundary line. If I live in the boundary line, there is freedom. On the other side is danger. God, I thank you for the boundary lines because I know, I, I know that there I'm in your love. I know you have those because you love me. I don't have to obey the laws to please God, but because of his grace, I internalize them and I choose to. There's freedom there. 20 years ago, 20 years ago, I pledged my vows to my wife, Jamie. I pledge vows. I promise to be faithful to her as long as we both shall live. That's a rule. That's a law. That's a vow. That's what I bound. What's that for? Come on, it's kind of limiting, isn't it? As long as we both shall live, I pledge myself just to you. I mean, I can't anybody else. I can't have a little bit of fun outside. There, there's nothing else. No, 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 no. Why? Because it keeps me in a blessing of a faithful marriage that's far richer than the forbidden fruit on the other side. 
That's not a boundary that I cross to forbidden fruit. That's a blessing that I stay in because I know that when I stay in it, it's better. There's a blessing that's better. There's a fruitfulness that's better. It's not limiting. It's freedom. It's freedom. My relationship with my wife is healthy. My relationship with my wife is wonderful. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying that there's a, but let me tell you something. When you live within those, when you internalize those values and you live within them, they bring you great joy and great freedom that sin and the wages of sin and the consequences of sin, you don't have to encounter or touch. You don't have to find your life digging out of a hole or the pain on the other side of getting across the value, crossing the boundary line. But when you begin to see the value of it, you begin to say, wow, these are not rules that because I'm trying to to live up and please and, and accept and I don't know if God will ever accept. That's not what it is. You live in relationship. You begin to see, I've got plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I've got, I've got things in store for you and I don't want you to experience the consequences of sin. I don't want you to get bit by the, by the serpent. I don't want his temptation in his life to take you outside of the boundary to where you have to go through the pain of what happens when you step outside. I love you too much. These are not rules to restrict. This is freedom for you if you will live within it. It's freedom. You can see them as rules or you can say, Lord, I I need to internalize them. Write your laws on my heart so that like David in the Psalms, you read through the Psalms, particularly Psalm 119, I love your laws. I love your commands. I love them. David said, I love them. I love them. How do, how do you love rules? When you begin to see them as values, when you begin to see the love relationship behind them, when you begin to, when you begin to internalize and you go, oh, wow, my God loves me. He's protecting me. He's, he's saving me. He's rescuing me. That's, that's what it's all about. See, religion complicates with laws, but Jesus simplifies with love. And religion, religion's all about the outward. But simple, Jesus is all about love. He's all about love. So maybe you struggle with faith because you feel like you can't live up to all those rules. Maybe you struggle to surrender your life to Christ because you just feel like you fail at pleasing the Lord. I want to encourage you today that Christ invites you into a relationship with him just as you are, just as you are, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to start from a position of perfection. You can't get there anyway. You start from a position of surrender. You start from a position where you say, just as I am, I'm done trying it on my own. I can't keep doing this. I can't keep trying. I, I just can't work hard enough. I can't keep going through this cycle anymore. I surrender, Lord. I'm yours. <laughs> I'm yours. Come in and make me new. Come in and change. And you know what God will do? God will begin to make you love his law. God will begin to make you love it. Rather than reject it, you'll love it. You'll want to pursue it and you'll want to do it, not because you're feeling guilty, but because you know how much you're loved. It's not out of guilt, and it's not out of shame, and it's not out of fear, but rather it's out of love. You say, wow, I've been loved so much. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe the freedom that you have for me. I I want to do this. I want to live this way because I know how much your love and your grace have redeemed me and paid for my sin. 
Once you do that, you no longer see those laws as rules to please God, but values to internalize. No longer as obligations, but rather as opportunities to stay within his blessing and protection. And these values afford us the peace and the joy and fulfillment of a grand relationship with God. And we begin to delight in his loss, no longer feeling fear or burden. So today, do you need to set aside the religious rules, set aside religion, and let Jesus do a work in you? You need to do that. I'm going to invite those that are serving communion to come. And you know, that's what communion reminds us of. Communion reminds us about the redemption of Jesus Christ. Communion reminds us every time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Who wants to proclaim death? Who who wants to proclaim that? How did death become life when Jesus Christ willingly gave up his life and he paid a debt that we could not pay? When he redeemed us from slavery to sin, when he redeemed us from from that bondage that we're under, when he redeemed us from from just that weight, and how do I begin to work it on? How do this guilt and how do I how do I do this? When we begin to experience the love of Jesus Christ and we begin to remember his redemption, we go, oh wow, I'm free. I'm free. So let us bow our heads for a moment before we receive, before they pass out the elements today. I just want us to bow our heads this morning. And communion, don't be afraid. We serve open communion. That means that if you have given your life to Christ, you're more than welcome to participate in communion with us today. You don't have to be a part of our church affiliation or a certain affiliation today. But if you're here and you'd say, you know what, it's time. I want to set that religion aside. Or you know what, I need to just set my sin aside And today, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I I, I need his redemption today. You say, I need his forgiveness. I need his redemption. Maybe maybe you've walked away. You you once were serving the Lord, but, but maybe you've been living your own way. And today, you say, you know what? It's time to surrender again. Whatever it is, it's time to surrender again. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? Will you slip up your hand? I need Jesus. Thank you. I want to, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need him as my Savior. I need him as my Lord. I need him in my heart. Come on, let's pray today. Let's pray today. If you want to receive Christ today, will you do that as we pray? Pray with me today. Dear Jesus, I thank you today for how much you love me. I thank you today for forgiveness. I ask you today to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me today of all the things that I've done to sin against you. I invite you to come into my life. I invite you to change me. I invite you to work in me. Internalize your values upon my heart. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hang on to those elements today and we'll receive communion. And I just want you just to continue to reflect on the love of the Lord as we continue in worship this morning. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.